Gospel of John. And if you have a Bible that has both passages this morning, then it's to your benefit. We're looking at some verses from the very end of chapter 20 and at the very end of chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. It's thought that John was writing these words to a second generation of Christians. That is, these were not people that had been alive when Jesus and the apostles, for the most part, uh, were around. Some of them still were. So they were getting their information largely from others who were passing it on to them. And so it was important that uh, John be a, one of the key men, a very valuable asset to the church of his day, to write his gospel. And we're going to look at what he has to say about it toward the end of chapters 20 and 21. I'm going to begin in chapter 20, beginning at, chapter, at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet I believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then the last two verses of the Gospel of John, from chapter 21, 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I'm a collector of mementos. Tell my wife, she's not that much into it, but I am. I've got boxes, you know, and I notebooks and things. And one of the things that I regret was that I lost somewhere along the line a very meaningful memento to me. It was a little Gospel of John, red cover. It was given to me down at the beach on the sands of Manhattan Beach, California, where each summer a group from the Bible Institute would come, and they had a morning vacation Bible school in Hermosa Beach, and then two afternoon vacation Bible schools in Manhattan and Redondo Beach. And it was in one afternoon that the teacher asked if anyone would like to put their trust in Jesus. And I'm not saying this was the first time that I trusted in Jesus. I was brought up in a Christian home. I'm thankful for that. Uh, I don't know exactly when the Lord first worked in my heart. But at least that day, I thought, maybe I should do this in kind of a public way. And so there on the sand, I knelt down. And uh, supposedly, I put my trust in Christ, maybe not for the first time. I was given this little Gospel of John. It was very meaningful to me. Somehow it's gone. But probably along the, the years of your life, somebody has given you a Gospel of John, 
or you yourself have given a Gospel of John to somebody. Why this particular book? Well, it's important for many reasons, and especially one reason is it gives the record of Christ. What do we mean by the record of Christ? Well, if you have a diary, that's a record, a little personal record. If you go on a motor trip, you might keep track of where you stayed, where you ate your dinner, some of the things you saw. So you come back, you have the record of your trip. Congress has the congressional record. And who knows all how many words there are in that over the years where all the proceedings of Congress are kept and written down. So the record of Christ is what has been written down about Jesus. Now, it's important that we have a record like this because we are asked to believe some rather remarkable, amazing, difficult things about Jesus Christ. We believe that He was the Son of God. Even though on earth He was known as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph the carpenter. We are asked to believe that the Son of God took on human flesh and became a God-man. Remaining God, He became man. He took upon Himself human nature. That's a pretty big thing to believe in in 2020 as we approach 2020. Um, We are asked to believe that He performed miracles, turned the water into wine, walked on water, and so forth. Pretty big thing to believe in, to accept. So we have to have some reason to believe it, and the reason is that, for, for this reason, if no, no, none other, that we have the written Word of God, we believe it's accurate and truthful. And John was very, important, was very interested that we understand the importance of this. So we're going to look at, four, we're looking back and forth here, these two passages, the last two verses of chapter 20, and the last two verses of chapter 21. My Bible is nice. They are all right before me here. You might have to turn a page. So be with us as we do that. We're going to begin in chapter 21, verse 24, and ask this question. Who wrote this book? Who's the author of these words? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness. Which disciple is that? Go back up to verse 23. So this saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Okay, that gives a little more information. Do we know anything more about this disciple? Go back to verses 20 to 22. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had been back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, that is, this disciple, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, it's my will that he remain until I come. What's that to you? You follow me. Jesus had said, this man's not going to die right away. Peter, you are going to die, but not this man. So, taking this all, these verses all together, there's every reason to believe that we're talking about John the Apostle, John the disciple of Jesus, the one who is the most close to Jesus in his earthly ministry. Now, we also have the account of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew and John were the two eyewitnesses of that group of four. Mark and Luke might have been the eyewitnesses of certain things and interviewed others, but especially John was really close to talking about Jesus, and the things he writes in his gospel are very, very important for that reason, if for none other. Verse 24 again, John chapter 21, This is the disciple 
who is bearing witness about these things, we'll talk about these things in a moment, who has written these things. It's a completed thing. It's been written down. And even in our day, we have it right in front of you here. It's written. In our own language, you can read it. That's a very important thing. It's not just orally. You pass something on orally from one mouth to another, and it can get garbled if you're not careful. You've all played the little game where you sit in a circle and you whisper something in somebody's ear, and they, you only say it one time, and they take it, and usually people start laughing. They what? I'm not sure what you said. So they have to take whatever it was and pass it on. By the time it comes around to the first person, it's completely garbled. Thankfully, we don't have to have a word of God this way. We have written scripture, and John is one that wrote his book. And he's bearing witness to what's going on, to continuing thing. It also says here at the end of verse 24, we know that his testimony is true. Probably this is somebody else that added this to John's writing to kind of give a, a stamp of approval. Some believe it was the Ephesian elders that did that. We're not exactly sure, but they agreed John is reliable. His testimony is true. The Greek says true is his testimony. You can believe it. It's accurate. Would a man like John sit down and write something that was not true? Can you envision John, from what we know of him, that he would be wanting to put something down to cause doubts? No, he wanted people to be able to hold on to written truth. Jesus had said to him, John, to the disciples, John 16, 13, uh, I'm going to be going away, but the Spirit, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth to you. He will guide you into the truth. And John certainly was one of those. So that's one thing we look at. The second thing we want to look at are the things and the signs. Back in verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who's written about these things. Now go back to chapter 20, verse 20. Now Jesus did many other signs. So we got things and we got signs. What in the world is John talking about? Probably in chapter 21, verse 24, these things refer to everything in his book that he has written, the whole book. Signs, however, over in verse 30 of chapter 20, it probably refers, undoubtedly, to the miracles that Jesus performed. And John does, has, does an interesting thing. There are nine signs in the Gospel of John. Seven of them are squeezed into the first uh, chapters 2 through 11. Then you have a big jump until you get to chapter 20 and the great sign given to Thomas, Christ's resurrection. And then there's another sign in chapter 21 about the uh, great amount of fish that were caught. So you ask yourself, why did John organize it that way? I don't know. You'll have to ask him when you get the glory. I don't have the answer to that. Why did he organize that way? Why did Matthew, Mark, Luke write the way they did? Why do they say some things and not other things? We're not told. But these things, these signs... John wanted us to know about. Remember, the disciples were first-hand witnesses to the life of Christ. We take somebody like Luke, for example. Probably Luke did not have first-hand witness of Christ, although he had lots of sources to use. But uh, John and, and Matthew, in particular, were witnesses, as well as the other, uh, other disciples there. So it's good to have that first-hand account, witness there. Now he also says here, 
at verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He implies that those signs were written in another book. And we know there were other books being written, not just the four Gospels. Luke makes reference to it in his first chapter of his Gospel. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us. So lots of writing was going on in that day about the Christ, about Jesus, but we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John primarily as our sources for our particular faith. So what John is saying is, my book doesn't contain all of the miracles of Jesus that he did, but I have picked some out that I wanted you to know about. This leads us then to the matter of the missing material. Chapter 21, verse 25. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, there's a lot of things about the life of Christ we don't know about. All we know about is what's in Scripture. What we have here when he says, I suppose not even the world itself couldn't contain it, is something of what we call the hyperbole. What's a hyperbole? Hyperbole is a rhetorical exaggeration expressing what is more or less literally true. It's especially an exaggeration. For example, I stood near this basketball player the other day. I'm telling you, this guy was so, so tall, he reached to the stars. That's hyperbole. Or his thumb was as blue as the thumb of an Eskimo hitchhiker. Okay? Strange. It's an exaggeration, but it's not hyperbole. It's designed to get you to think, well, whatever this is, it's important. It's significant. John is expressing himself as he would have a person of his own time, using this kind of hyperbole. Let's use our imagination for a moment. Suppose that you were able to compile through notebooks or even on your computer, wherever, or in books, compile a complete and accurate diary of the life of Christ all 33 years from the moment of his birth to his crucifixion and even to his ascension. In addition, you had written down a carefully worked out explanation of how all these things related to the Old Testament prophecies of his coming. And then suppose you also had written down a discussion of that life in the light of that prophecy, what it meant, and also related to the currents of all time and history, past, present, and future. Finally, you had a careful record of all of this is related to the eternity from which he came and to which he returned. You have all this information it would be absolutely overwhelming. It would be like trying to take the ocean and put it into this cup. Oh, I have it here. I'm going to take another drink of water. Impossible. Staggering. Be thankful that the newspapers you read and the newscasts you see on television, there's been a lot of editing done, cutting things out, Otherwise, you would be up till midnight every day trying to assimilate everything in your newspaper. There would be so much information there. 
Thankfully, they cut it down to size. We are grateful that under the inspiration of the Spirit, John was able to cut down much about Jesus' life just to what we have here, as well as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Otherwise, we just have so much information, we just simply could not digest it all. To write a full significance of all that Jesus did, particularly getting into the whole full significance of his death on behalf of sinners, of the sacrificial suffering on our behalf, and of his glorious resurrection, all that that entailed, all that was involved in that, of how important it is what we have. William Hendrickson has said, no finite number can ever record the deeds performed by infinite love. Remember, talking about Jesus, the God-man, one person, two natures. It's a mystery to us. We can't fully pull it together. But it's a remarkable thing. How are we going to understand completely Jesus Christ other than what we have revealed to us in Scripture? Had the fourth gospel been a mere human composition, it would have presented a multitude of information about all kinds of things, about what it was like when he's a little boy and what he's like when he's a teenager. We know absolutely nothing, virtually nothing about that, except when he's 12 years old, he's in the temple, that incident. Otherwise, for his first 30 years, apart from his birth, nothing. Nothing is said. But John uses great restraint here to make the gospel manageable to us. Now, verse 25 also makes a reference to these other things, as we saw, and it's a fitting, beautiful climax to the book. Let me read that verse to you again. Verse 25, chapter 21. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Someone has called this a magnificent etc. What is an etc.? Well, it means similar things. You're asked to go to the store and buy some fruit. Somebody asks you, what fruit did you buy? Well, I bought apples, bananas, oranges, etc. I'm not going to go to all the other stuff by other food. So it kind of boils everything down. So verse 25 is a wonderful etc. for us in this day and age that we don't have to have all kinds of information before us about the life of Christ. What is true of John is true of all of the Bible authors. How much more is not said about what God did in the Old Testament days. All the miracles, all the evidences of his power were there. But why these things? John, why these signs, these nine signs in your gospel account? Why the particular information that you gave to us? What's your purpose in all this? And here's where it can really become, should become meaningful to us. Verse number 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's something written. I wrote it down for you. 
I don't want you, says John, to depend upon your feelings. You may wake up someday, you don't feel like you're saved. You may wake up feeling that God is not with you. I don't want you to depend on your feelings. I want you to have something written down. That's why I wrote it. I wrote it so you may believe. John is the gospel of belief. I have a book by one of my commentaries by Merrill Tenney called John, the Gospel of Belief. John wants people to believe. John is speaking to you today. He wants you to believe. That's his great purpose. Surely, as I said earlier, his purpose is not so you may doubt. I wrote all this thing so you can doubt your faith. Obviously not. Facts were, those facts were gathered and collected out of this large amount of material so that the truth of the gospel could be explained and rationally defended, which it has been. However, many have read John and yet have not believed. How many people have received a little gospel of John and maybe they even took the time to look at it. Sometimes the gospel of John has some guidelines of where to look, what key verses are, so that kind of thing. Others have received it and throw it in the trash. But nevertheless, there are some people who take the time to read it and think about it, but they don't believe anything in particular that changed their life. Why is that? Well, who are, what are we to believe? These are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can believe that or not. Son of God? Mm. I believe he was a good man, probably a great teacher, sort of influenced history. I would accept that. But to believe he's the Son of God, uh, I don't know if I can go that far. We're told nowadays to look into yourself. See who you are. See the potential that you have. Bring it out. Live it out. And here comes John saying, no, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Many people, even in John's day, were not accepting that. There was a group called the Corinthians, not Corinthians, but Corinthians, And they said, Jesus is only human, not divine at all. So that idea has been around even into our day. John wanted to counteract that. This is why John does not tell us such things as his teenage years, color of his hair, how short his hair was or how long it was, color of his eyes, what kind of games he played when he was a teenager, what kind of things he did best in the carpenter shop, was he good at tables, was he good at chairs. We're not told all that information. John didn't think that was necessary to help people believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's why we find a series of belief testimonies in John. Let me rattle off some of them for you. You have Andrew, Nathaniel, the disciples at the wedding of Cana in particular, Nicodemus, the Sychar woman, the nobleman, the impotent man, the confession of Peter, the man born blind, all the way to Thomas. And Thomas is signaled out toward the end of his book because Thomas is related very much to the resurrection of Jesus. And John wants to make sure, I'm talking not about a dead martyr, 
I'm talking about one who was raised from the dead, Jesus, the Son of God. And Thomas was a witness to that. And then at the very end of verse 31, they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John's not done yet. Something else good here. And that by believing, you might have life through his name. Not just kind of a vague faith or belief in something, even belief and accept that Jesus is the Son of God, but that your life is changed, your life is transformed. You live in a different way than people around you because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior and your Lord. John was concerned people received life, not only judicial life, justified in the sight of God, except receiving by faith his righteous, the righteousness of Christ, but also imparted life, the imparted life of the Spirit, abundant life. Jesus said, I came to give abundant life, and of course eternal life as well, through his name, through all that Jesus is, his offices, his relationships, all he's done, all he continues to do. So when the church recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God, that she continues to have life. When she doesn't accept that, the spiritual life just goes down and sometimes disappears. Over the years, people have questioned whether or not Jesus even existed. Not even sure he was even on earth. Something just made up. The early church dealt with that as well. But the evidence is so clear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not to mention the rest of Scripture, that Jesus indeed lived. And what the Bible says about him is true. Our faith is not in a living memory of him. Our faith is in him. That he lives today. That he is coming again. One glorious day. To all who allow John to be the document that it, it claims to be, an accurate record of the things Jesus did, to all who allow that to happen, they discover that it draws them to Christ. And they say, wow, what an amazing person. What a remarkable person. I can have trust in him. I can have confidence in him. And that's what John wants. So it's good news, as fresh and new today as it was in the first century. His words continue to speak. I have written my book so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing, you will have life in his name. Do you have that life? Is your belief, confidence, and trust in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God? I hope it is. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, even now as we are in worship, even now as we pray, we pray for the recognition that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that through him you hear our prayers. Dear Lord, we pray, should there be any in this room that have not yet taken that step of faith and commitment to Jesus, that you would, by your Spirit, open up their, high, their spiritual eyes to see the truth, to accept what John and others have written, and that our faith might be strengthened even this day as we are so grateful for the written Word of God and how you have brought that to our attention and by the Spirit of God have enabled us to understand it and to apply its truths to our lives. Through Christ we do pray. Amen.